Hi there. Happy Thursday. I'm Spencer, and you're tuned in to another episode of the Tempo Report. Growing up, I loved discovering new music, whether it was through my parents or through a TV channel called Much Music. I loved watching their simple video loops where the VJs played all different kinds of music. This is where I first discovered Biff Naked as a 10-year-old back in 2002. I remember really being into a song called Tango Shoes. I'm not even sure why. (laughs) Maybe it was because I was just proud I'd found a new type of music all by myself. And now... I have Biff Naked as a guest on my podcast. We talk about her creative process, her diversity. She references Back to the Future and even tells a story involving a nude drummer. So could you start off by telling my audience who you are and what is it you do? Okay, my name is Biff Naked, and I am technically a recording artist, uh, but I identify more as a dog mom. Was music uh, something that you always wanted to do? Heck no. (laughs) I was a theater kid, so I liked, um, I don't know, like theater. I was never in choir or choral, as they called it, in high school or anything. I didn't. I didn't sing. I didn't have a desire to sing. But in my first year of university, I met these guys who had a band. And they asked if I wanted to sing in their band. And I thought, well, I am a theater person, so maybe it will be a good exercise for me. And literally loved it, fell in love, dropped out of university, much to my parents' chagrin, and went on tour. And that was it. And I've never done anything else. Amazing. So you just like jumped in head first. <laughs> I guess so, but it was also punk rock music. You know, it was, uh, it didn't require me to sing like Mariah Carey, that's for sure. So uh, I think I found my way. You know, a lot of people, I guess, as they say, are self taught, but I just had to sink or swim. That's a good attitude to have. <laughs> <laughs> I had no choice. It was in front of people, so I couldn't fumble. How did you uh, land on the name um, Biff Naked? Well, it's a it's a weird story because Biff was a nickname that I have had since the tenth grade uh, because this guy in my class had a, a, a I guess a relative or somebody come to visit him. I lived in Winnipeg at the time, and his relative came from the UK, and my name is Beth B E T H. Uh, It's not short for anything. It's not short for Elizabeth. It's just Beth. And this kid's cousin or whomever could not pronounce my name. He he just kept calling me Beth, like with an F sound. And um, 
of course, at the time, I think it was um, Back to the Future movie was popular, and people <laughs> started making fun of me, calling me Biff, like the villain in that movie. Right. And, uh, uh-huh. and that's how Biff stuck. And I was fine with it because I kind of wanted to be a bit of a tomboy anyway. And then Biff Naked came to be my punk rock stage name. Um, I don't remember exactly how it came to be, but the first poster that my band had, my band was called Gorilla Gorilla, uh, we decided that on the poster they would say, come see Biff Naked. Um, because everyone knew me, I was singing for them for the first time. I was a girl. Yeah. Their previous singer was a guy. And uh, we just uh, wanted to attract notoriety and attention, and it, got, it definitely brought, uh, brought the people to the club, and, um, and it stuck from that point forward. It's totally something that caught my attention, that's for sure. Oh, that's good, yeah, and that was the whole point. I mean, all these other... You know, dude, punk dudes had names like Joey Shithead or Chai Pig or Mark Arm or, you know, uh, that type of thing. So it was uh, something that was memorable. And I liked it because it wasn't really gender specific. Even at that time, um, it was important to me not to just be considered just a, just a girl singer. Who are your, like, musical uh, influences? Well, I think, you know, I still I still have all of the same heroes that I always did. They just got older along with me. <laughs> so I would say for sure, John Joseph from the Cro-Mags is still a huge influence for me. Now, he's an author also. And uh, it was through him that I really kind of grasped onto the concept of PMA and, and positive mental attitude. He's got a book about it, which is really great. Um, but also bands like Shelter, um, you know, they were Hare Krishnas and they were really at the forefront of the Krishna punk movement uh, in the late 80s and early 90s. And that was something that I really, uh, it w- was really meaningful for me to listen to their music and, and feel, um, you know, kind of, I guess, inspired by them. You know, they were, they had so much self-control and they brought so much like, I don't know, like positivity and spirituality to their hardcore music. Uh, that it was a it was a good fit. I loved it, and I still do today. Um, what's Krishna punk? Well, so there was basically, um, and most of them are all yoga instructors now. But basically, uh, the Hare Krishna movement. I'm sure everyone's heard of. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, it's a, it's Vedic spirituality, really. It's a worshiping Krishna and stuff. And even though I was never a Hare Krishna, my parents um, adopted my sister and I from India, and they were, my parents were Christians and raised us Christian. Uh, but we still had a lot of influences from Hindu spirituality and and books and and music because my my parents always wanted us to basically make our own path and have those opportunities to stay connected to what they felt was our birthright. Um, and it just always resonated with me. Um, my dad accused me of being a cherry picker with religion. And he said, You're, you can't just pick 
something that you like and blend it all together. Like you, you like Buddhism, you like Sikhi, you like Hare Krishna, you like these things about Christianity, you like these things about Judaism, all these things. I've always said, you know what, you, people can believe whatever they want to in this day and age because if you're, if you're a religious person, probably you believe all paths eventually lead to God or to whatever your beliefs are. And, uh, and I, I love all of the, all of the positive messages with any spirituality and, uh, and any religion, organized religion, people have an aversion to because it's a bit, ah, it gets a bit cliquey or they, they don't feel like they like everything about that particular religion. Um, but I always have liked kind of, Dipping my toe in uh, everything and kind of walking along the fringes um, of a bunch of different religions. And Hare Krishna is definitely something that has always been close to my heart. Could you tell me more about what it was like growing up and uh, finding, like, your own path? Um, well, you know, I don't think, I think until I was probably 10 years old, I wanted to be a ballet teacher for my career because those were, that was my female role model. My parents had put us in, uh, you know, just theater and, and dance lessons. And it wasn't until I was cast as Goldilocks in my school play that I decided that acting was for me. And, uh, and really, I was a loudmouth kid. I was the class clown. Uh, I was a chatterbox. I got, you know, had to have my desk in the hall every day because <laughs> uh, I would never stop talking. And that's never uh, left me. I mean, you know, I can look at it now and go, well, maybe I have a really open throat chakra. I don't know. But I love communication and I love talking and and you know, writing and, and being a performer on stage just really was something that came, I guess, naturally to me because I never shut up. And, uh, and to this day, um, you know, I still think it's a pretty good fit for me. Do you, do you consider yourself a creative person? I think everybody is a creative person, to be honest with you. Um, you know, if you if you like creating, if you like creativity, then even making a salad is uh, a form of your creativity in a day, you know, because you can be creative and choose your own, you know, colors of, uh, of peppers to put in your salad or whatever the case. And uh, I like doing lots of things. And I think most, most creative people are uh, that way. They one day they'll make a cartoon or a drawing and the next day maybe they will record a song and the next day maybe they'll you know write a paragraph that they're saving for an essay or a poem um it's fun to create how do you come up with song lyrics well it's funny you should ask me that um that's actually a great question because we're recording right now and um we're recording this song called stay in your lane and it is a very, it's a song that is very um, uh, defiant. It's a song that's kind of got a lot of uh, rage in it. And I always say, I save my rage for the stage. And it's really true. Um, song lyrics are, you know, anything that makes you mad can be a song. But also anything that inspires you 
give me a song. We have another song about roller skating, uh, which is a love song. We have another song that just came out about breaking into someone's car, although I don't condone committing a crime, of course. Um, <laughs> but anything, anything can be uh, can be a song. And, and I've always liked trying to find uh, quirky or unusual things to write about. It's something that I've always had fun doing, like Daddy's Getting Married or Tango Shoes or Spaceman, for example. Um, you know, it was very deliberate that I kind of picked those topics. I noticed with the new single, um, you've gone more like electro pop. Would you say that's fair? To... Absolutely. Absolutely fair. And that, that song for sure is a dance song. Uh, but the song we're recording today is basically a thrash metal song. Uh, so I'm talking to you before I ruin my voice. Um, but, you know, I've been lucky because every record that I've uh, had the opportunity to make over the years, I've been able to kind of just put different styles of songs on each record. And I always I always have a dance song or two because uh, it's fun. Do you consider yourself diverse because you're like dipping your toes in so many different genres I hope so I mean when I was a young artist or an emerging artist in the early 90s I couldn't get a record deal because of that and um, you know a lot of the at the time we called them record weasels uh, they just didn't like it you know they were like you know this chick has got to pick a style you know is she an alternative artist or is she a punk artist or is this is this pop music you know and uh and i always just kind of thought i don't think it matters anymore because all of us kids grew up liking so many different types of bands i mean you know you can listen to nuzrat you can listen to uh, bonnie bear and you can listen to metallica all in the same afternoon you know? <laughs> so so why not put it put all styles on on my records was always my argument why not right yeah Yeah. i mean Um, at the end of the day who cares yeah (laughs) you're heavily into tattoos does that is like uh does tattoos does this does their symbolism like inspire like your writing whether that's writing a book or writing a song? Uh, sometimes, you know, I, I can't help but say that must be true. Um, over the years, I've tended to lean towards, again, spirituality uh, in my tattoos. I've got Ganesh. I've got um, words that are important to me, like Azad or Azadi, which means freedom. And... Um, I think that over time, I've gotten a little bit silly, if that makes any sense. You know, I ran out of room. And, and I always say, us old, old school girls, uh, me anyway, I got my tattoos. I used to get one for every birthday um, because also we were poor, you know. So who can afford all that tattooing? I would just wait until my birthday every year and then hope that my my girlfriend's boyfriend, who was a tattoo artist, would give me a free tattoo for my birthday. And that's really how it started for me. Um, now I find that, like, when my 
my um, dogs died before, I would get like their paw print or I would uh, draw a cartoon of them and I have those cartoons tattooed on me. And now I find that I still really, I like the power of words. I like powerful words. Uh, but as I'm getting older and perhaps more wrinkly, I really want a neck tattoo. <laughs> I uh -huh. think it's the perfect solution. Ladies, believe me. It is the solution if you're self-conscious about your neck or anything like that. Just get a big tattoo on the neck and it will camouflage uh, any like, you know, neck wrinkles or anything like that. So my next, my next tattoo, maybe I'll get brave and, and put it on my neck. Maybe. <laughs> the neck just seems like a really painful place hello <laughs> i also always go um let's see carotid uh jugular i don't know it does yeah it's definitely makes me feel vulnerable a lot of people i know have hand tattoos like my my buddy b has a tattoo of um their cat their cat's face and i thought wow that's really nice i would like to get maybe you know my dog's face uh however their hand blew up like a huge catcher's mitt uh, <laughs> while it was healing. And I just thought, yeah, no, I, no, I don't, I don't think so. Plus I do all the dishes uh, and then, you know, getting, getting it wet. And uh, yeah, you know, that's true. Yeah. It's not really supposed to get wet. <laughs> yeah. It seems like it would be kind of hard and I'm, you know, I'm getting lazier in my old age. So I haven't gotten tattooed in a while. You normally like you normally go to uh, you normally go to Sacred Heart in Vancouver, right? Oh, when I'm there, yes, I always did, and uh, and now that I'm out here in Toronto, uh, I definitely miss miss Vancouver very much, and and all of the tattoo artists that I love. What do you miss? Like, what do you miss most of about Vancouver? All the people. All my friends and all the people. I mean, Vancouver is a city that I lived in for 30 years. That's like, I mean, that's like most of my adult life. You know, it's really part of um, my upbringing in a way. Um, we came out here uh, because there was different work opportunities uh, that I physically needed to be in Toronto for. Uh, but now, especially with the pandemic, uh, has changed so much about um, yeah. not just what I do, but about what a lot of people do. And uh, technically, like we're doing now, lots of stuff has just kind of moved online. And, uh, and people can really work from anywhere in the world. Um, so definitely, it's hard to say how long. Uh, we're going to remain in Toronto. Um, but with the pandemic, it's it's unlikely we'll be traveling anytime soon. I'm not sure. Anything can happen. And I always say anything is possible. Yeah, well, like, you know, mediums like Skype um, just definitely makes it easier for uh, people to connect makes it easier to, to have conversations like what we're doing right now. Yes. Um, it's definitely made 
made things feel a little less, little less uh, isolating, I guess. I agree 100%. I think it has really helped. Years ago, you were a video game character in uh, SSX Tricky, is that correct? Yes, it is. I was the voice of Zoe. Yeah, I, I remember playing that game, like, a lot. Wow, then, that's amazing. And then um, I remember, like, thinking it was just so cool that uh, yay. You snowboarding were, game. That you were a character. It was fun to do. And it was a good fit for me. I mean, you know, Zoe said cool things, and Zoe was like, yeah, me, you know, this kind of growly voice, and... It was something that I was super proud of. Do you ever want to do like more, uh, like more voice acting? Yes, <laughs> of course, absolutely, I do. I mean, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, and I I think that people who voice cartoons, uh, for example, I think they have enviable jobs. That would be very fun, you know. It really would, but it's it's hard on the voice. <laughs> I mean, it's much different, like radio, or like I'm sure you discover in podcasting. Um, it is hard on the voice to have, you know, there's a certain, I, I guess, yeah, doing cartoon voices would be would be difficult for sure, especially if it was scratchy. With doing the voice of Zoe, um, I think that I probably lost my voice a couple times and got very hoarse. How long, how long would a single session be? Um, you know, they had this place, uh, I think it was EA, uh, had the studios set up for that. And yeah, it can be, it can take you a full day or a week. Uh, it's really to go through the lines and it's line by line. And there's so many lines you have to do because there's so many reactions that the game can have. And I'm sure now... It has evolved, you know, much, much more. Um, but it was really neat. It was neat to see the process and how they did that. What's the story behind your latest single? So when we started writing this new record for Champion, um, we had we were working in, in groups of songs. We had, you know, six or seven song ideas, and we were working them all out at the same time. Um, and... The, the song Broken Your Car was one of the first ones that we completed, along with Jim, which was the single we put out a year ago. And I always felt like, because now we live in an age where um, it's on demand. People don't have to buy every single song on your record on iTunes, and they don't have to listen to every single song on Spotify, or they can shuffle them. And I just always felt like, there's a certain order I hope that my songs would be listened to. And that's really how we decided. I wanted Jim to be the first single because it was very different from the other songs. And Broken to Your Car, like you said, is a dance song. And I wanted it to be second because it was very, it's uplifting and it's like, it's fun and it's a love song. So it's like, it's funny in a way. It's kind of outrageous to think that one would break into uh, 
someone's car just to leave, you know, what breadcrumbs or a picture of yourself or, you know, chewed gum, who knows what someone would leave. But, uh, and then the third, the third single we've had planned to follow broken your car for over a year. And then, yeah. And then after that, maybe the whole record will, will go up there, but we've had lots of time to, to tinker around with it and, and work it out. And also, you know, there's no schedule anymore. For artists, artists can kind of do what they want when they want to in our digital age. So that's kind of freeing. Yeah, I completely, I completely agree. How are you coping with like, with like no schedule, no touring? How are you like, how are you coping with all that stuff? Well, I think like everyone else, it kind of, I mean, everyone has the same idea. It sucks. You know, the pandemic is, has, uh, it has really sucked in, in a lot of ways. But I also know a lot of people who have gotten sick. Um, so first and foremost, I, you know, I'm very pragmatic about everything that has happened as a result of them discovering uh, the virus and, and its spread. And now, of course, with the variants. I mean, it's really scary for people. Um, Everyone that I know, thankfully, who did have uh, COVID has recovered, um, you know, with a variety of lingering uh, side effects, perhaps, and maybe they aren't even aware that their headache last Tuesday or whatever still has to do with their, you know, having the virus last fall. Who knows? Um, But basically, it takes precedence over any of my whining (laughs) about not being able to perform um we had a tour planned um with buck cherry and age of days that was postponed once and now it's been postponed again uh obviously we're hoping that it it still happens (laughs) but it it might get postponed again and we just have to people have to be flexible uh as hard as it is but it's definitely been financially uh stressful for every single person i know everybody and when it comes to artists, um, it's very it's very stressful because it's absolutely zero. It goes to the zero income fast when you're not allowed to put butts in uh, in auditorium. So it's been very challenging for sure. Yeah, especially like not being able to just share your art with the world, I guess. Yeah, I like I like performing, so it is hard for sure. But, you know, I think that everybody feels the same way. Everybody does really believe uh, that eventually uh, we'll be able to to go back to clubs and see shows and and stuff like that. We just have to have to hope that it's sooner than later. Yeah, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers, toes, yes, cross them. So with, you know, with COVID going on and with the world being what it is right now, um, do you have, like, any, like, stories from the road previously that you would like to share with me right now? (laughs) I have a million. Um, The ones that... um, I think that we were talking the other day. Uh, we did a streaming show last week, and I played with uh, with Doug and and Michael Sage on drums. 
um, out here in Toronto, we all live close to one another. So it worked out. And even though there's still a lockdown here, uh, there are uh, different restrictions surrounding film and broadcast. So we were able to do this. Um, but we were reminiscing also about some old tour stories. And we were hysterically laughing because um, we were lucky enough to get a tour bus many times over the years. And uh, at one point in the evening, always our drummer would take all his clothes off, all of them, and run across the stage of another band that was playing. Whether it was they were playing before us or after us, whatever the case, he would always streak. And, uh, and all the bands knew that he would do it. And he always did it. And we laugh now because, of course, he was a young man at the time, quite virile and, uh, and probably more muscular than he is today. Uh, but we were howling because even though it seems like just the most vapid, insipid, slapstick humor, why is it even funny? We don't know. But it always was. And it always made us laugh until we cried and uh and we shared so many um just just stories about uh him streaking <laughs> for uh, all these unsuspecting bands had him streak uh across their stages all over europe and uh and america and canada and you know that's just uh some of the juvenile uh, shenanigans that uh that we would enjoy Drummers always do the most unexpected stuff. I think that's very true. You know, any kid that grew up having to hit pots and pans, uh, you know, and become a drummer, maybe there's something different happening for them. People, like, you know, just take things in differently and have a different, like, level of crazy. <laughs> yes. Exactly. It is different levels. And I've never actually met a drummer who wasn't funny. How important would you say the element of storytelling is? Well, I, I mean, for myself, all of these songs are, and it's always been this way, they've all been kind of autobiographical. Um, you know, I wrote Daddy's Getting Married because my dad got married. I mean, it's like, it, it doesn't, it, it's funny. I was accused when I was a young artist. Uh, there was a journalist, I think in Montreal, I can't remember for sure. But he accused me of not having any imagination at all. Uh, because my songs were all just from my own experiences. They were autobiographical. And, uh, and I always thought, yeah, but that's a story, you know, that's still a story that I'm telling. So um, for me, I love to, uh, I love telling stories when we do our acoustic show, for example, that's not the rock show, I get to read from my book. And, uh, and I tell us, I read the story, and then we play the song that was written about the exact story that I told. Uh, and we play it acoustically. And I, that's my favorite way to perform. It really is. And as we've established, I love to talk. Uh, so <laughs> this is obviously something that I enjoy thoroughly. Yeah, those those acoustic shows were so much fun. Yeah. I remember go like I remember going to 
um, one show that you had at venue. Mm, that's this, right. There's just something about just telling stories and then hearing the song afterwards. That's awesome. That's exact. Yeah, it's my favorite way to play. So that made that made my day. I mean, I hope that we can um, get back to it. I really do. I hope that we can get back to doing acoustic performances. And maybe that will come back before rock shows. Um, you know, I don't know if the mosh pits are going to come back as quickly as the theaters. Yeah. It's hard to say. I don't know how comfortable I am with, with mosh pits right now. <laughs> but. Well... I wasn't comfortable before, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, so, yeah, I, I just don't think that they're going to be allowed. I can't I can't envision it. But that being said, you know, the same thing must be true for discotheques and, like, dance clubs and stuff like that. Um, but all over the States, anyway, I don't know about Canada, but there are lots of them that still happen and they're still going on. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's amazing how, like, you know, different places, how different places are handling the virus. Yeah, it is actually very fascinating. It gives us a lot of insight into different societies, I guess, in a way. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. My mom lives in Winnipeg, and she's in her in her 80s. And uh, she keeps saying that she wants, if she ever has an opportunity to have a vaccine, which of course, Manitoba, I don't know if they have uh, immediate plans. I think they're quite a ways away also. But she says she wants to give away her vaccine place in line to somebody younger uh, because she, because it doesn't matter for her. But um, that's very typical of my mother, by the way. Um, but I, I, I feel that, you know, I think that a lot of people would uh, really benefit if they could hurry up with the vaccine. <laughs> and maybe, but maybe we're wrong. Maybe that gives us a false invincibility. I'm not sure. Um, but it's going to be an interesting year to see how everything unfolds. Absolutely. Um, what do you miss most about pre-COVID and pre-lockdown? Hugging. So I'm a, I'm a hugger. I am a hugger. I'm not a handshaker. I'm a hugger. And so now, like, yeah, I don't think, you know, people don't even, even they won't even shake your hand or anything. So to me, it's, it's just, you know, I guess in a way we're spoiled. You know, when you think about all the stuff we never had to think about or be concerned about before. And it's not that I would get, um, uh, upset or worried I worry about the other person uh, you know feeling uh, vulnerable or fearful like I live in an apartment building and for example you're only allowed one person in the elevator uh, at a time mm -hmm. and that's obviously very time consuming if it's a busy time of day for example and there are certainly people who are um, who lose their patience let's put it that way but you know it, uh, it's hard not to have everybody in the elevator especially if there's another dog uh, because well we want to A pet all the dogs we can and B you know there's, it's fun to be with other 
people who have dogs. It's just a simple thing like that because you can talk about your dogs on the elevator ride, you know, stuff like that. Just simple day-to-day things uh, that I didn't think I would miss. I miss a lot. Yeah, we're definitely going to be a lot more, like, I would say more appreciative mm-hmm. um, about the little things after we get out of this vortex or whatever. Yeah, it is a vortex. That's right. It's like a big black hole. Um, yeah, uh, I think so. I think perhaps people have become more aware of their own gratitude and yeah, and this year, maybe of their own privileges or whatever the case, but maybe they will appreciate the handshakes and, uh, and the hugs. Just one more thing before you go. Where could people find you online if they're just discovering you from this podcast? Like everybody, I, I guess I, ha- I have a Twitter account. Um, and that, that's just Biff Naked. And then I have a Facebook account that's just Biff Naked. And then there is an Instagram account that's called Biff Naked Official because Biff Naked was already taken. And uh, there's a TikTok account, but it's mostly me singing to my dog. And then the, there's the website, of course. Just go to BiffNaked.com. All right. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. This has been unbelievably fun (laughs) for me too i'm glad that we could catch up yes uh we'll uh catch you later okay have a good weekend i hope that it uh it doesn't snow anymore in vancouver yeah it should be uh, the snow should be gone by now but very lucky well we're gonna get another dump of snow here in good old toronto the armpit of canada uh but (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) Stay safe, Biff. Thank you. You too. Bye. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Biff Naked. For more information on all things Biff, go to BiffNaked.com or find her on Instagram at BiffNakedOfficial. Did you like this episode? If so, go to djspencer.ca slash podcast to find more interviews in my archives. Special thanks to Eric Alper for making this conversation happen. Now to round out this episode, here is the latest single from Biff called Broke Into Your Car. Have a fantastic day, my friends.